Hello and welcome to the Sandro Forte podcast. Over the many years I've been running a business, I've met many, many successful people, entrepreneurs, sports stars, celebrities, and dare I say, even royalty. So what makes a person successful? Do we know what success is? And the all important question, can we create success for ourselves? This podcast series invites a diverse group of people to share their insights, their wisdom, and the things they've learned along the way. Tim Munton's cricketing career started way back in 1985 when he made his debut for his county, Warwickshire. He played for most of his career there, becoming player of the season three times, including their treble winning season in 1994, earning two international caps for England along the way. In 1995, Tim was named one of the five wisdom cricketers of the year. With cricket being such a big part of his life, when Tim left the game in 2002 following an injury, it could easily have left him unsure on the path he wanted to follow. He has, however, stayed within the world of sport and is a director of sport at Champions UK, an award-winning digital branding agency. So I'd like to welcome today's very special guest and a very good friend of mine, Tim Munton. Tim, welcome. Thank you, Sandra. Good to be here. It's fantastic having you with us. Thanks for giving up your time because you are still a very busy man. So let's get right into it. 30 minutes to share lots of words of wisdom with our listeners. Tim, your background, a lot of people may not necessarily, a lot of people know who you are, but they won't necessarily know much about your background. So tell us if you would a little bit about where Tim Munton came from and, and more importantly, how did you get into cricket? How did it find you? Did you find it? So, um, so yeah, um, Melton Mowbray, Leicestershire is where it all started. I was born in the hospital there. I was every day of my school was in Melton Mowbray. So one of my um, early nicknames was the Port Pie Man. So that sort of uh, that hangs in there. But um, cricket for me was uh, like many of us really. It was sort of going and watch my dad as a as a sort of five, six, seven year old, and got on the field as a nine year old to sort of uh, replace somebody. And then sort of it developed from there, really. I played lots of local club cricket. Uh, my first club was Buckminster. They used to play in the South Links and Border, Border League, which was sort of a Leicestershire, Lincolnshire sort of overlap. And then I moved as a 14-year-old to, to the, the big world of Edgerton Park in Melton Mowbray. Uh, the irony there is that's um, Stuart Broad's club as well, and Jonathan Agnew is president of the club. So there's a, there's a bit of sort of heritage around uh, Edgerton Park. But it was. Um, I wasn't through school. Um, I didn't play any cricket at school. Um, I was at a state school where we had nets with the Leicestershire coach of the time, which was Ken Higgs, who was a real sort of inspiration to me and a great coach. Um, but through that, I sort of got spotted and was was recommended for trials at Leicestershire under 16s, and um, so played a lot of cricket, sort of 16 through to 19 for for Leicestershire age group in second 11. But my uh, my dream of playing for for my beloved Leicestershire was the bubble was burst when I at the end of my A level season there wasn't a place on the staff there so um, I then went on a which a lot of players do you sort of if you don't get your first opportunity you you have a look at yourself and think they'll really want to go with this dream and and have a go and um, at eighteen years of age nineteen years of age I was I was determined to have a go and. Uh, Worked for my father. He had a small building business, so he gave me the afternoons off for the winter that uh, I was uh, in between, if you like. And I used to go and have nets at uh, at Edgebaston on a on a Tuesday afternoon. And uh, the the uh, net session before Christmas, I was offered my professional contract. So I joined Warwickshire in in 1985. That's how it all started. Wow, and, uh, that's quite yeah. quite a quite a journey. I just want to pick up on something you said. You talked to you used the words dream and determination. Um, I, 
one thing that we get consistently from podcast guests, Tim, that have been successful in their chosen sport or career is that there is a, an innate passion, you know, something that really burns within them. Is that, that was the thing that carried you into cricket? Was it that, that desire to, to get to the top of the game? I guess so. And it's, it's an interesting one because you, you reflect, I reflect on it here. I'm in my fifties now, so it's obviously a long while ago since that, that dream may have occurred, but, um, I was a passionate sort of young sportsman. I played football, I played cricket, I swam, I played basketball, I did all those things. And, and cricket, I guess, was a sport that was, um, was a sport I shone at a, as a teenager. Um, it's quite interesting at the minute I'm, I'm sort of, uh, in current working worlds, I'm, I'm working, I've just finished a 30 day course with, uh, Jeremy Snape. If you come mm-hmm. across Jeremy, yeah. Jeremy has a, has a sort of a leadership, um, business and he has a, he has his own sort of digital program called winning mindsets. And he talks about this, you know, through the whole program, it talks about that dream and that drive and what comes first and, and how do you drive mm-hmm. yourself through it? And I, I dare I say as a teenager, Certainly for me, you hear some people who sort of tell, say they had a dream as an 11-year-old and they they set their stall out. I was just enjoying playing sport. And of course, if I got the chance to earn a living, which I probably never believed would happen, I'd go and do it, playing sport. Um, so I guess it was more later on in my career that the, the drive, the determination, once I'd had a, a, a taste of it. So my first year on the staff at Warwickshire was... Was pretty um, pretty ordinary to be honest. I didn't I didn't play any first team cricket, and at the end of the summer I was I was in a one year contract. I was really suspe- suspecting I might not get another one. So I guess my drive and determination came when I was probably surprised to get that second year, and um, I, by chance I ended up with a winter in New Zealand playing for a university side in Wellington as a 19, 20 year old. And I suppose it was in that sort of space where you're out on your own as a sort of a late teenage, early 20 year old that you've got, you get a chance to really reflect. And I was, I then came back determined to play and wanted to be in that side for the first team, first game of the season. So from 1986 onwards, I played pretty much first team cricket from that point on, you know, there was, there was times where competition meant that uh, somebody else had a go and I missed out. So the first two or three years, that's where your real drive and determination to succeed, if you like, because you've had a taste of it and mm. you want to do it. So that was uh, that's probably the, the dream and determination angle yeah. for me. It was, it evolved, I guess. And just back to the pork pie nickname, which I think I didn't know <laughs> I, that about I you. Far too many of them now. <laughs> but I have to say, um, you got spotted. Well, it's not difficult to spot you, Tim. I, how tall are you? Well, I'm six six. I was I was about ten stone lighter then, though. So. Yeah, you, yeah, you are. Not you quite are 10, quite a unit in all the in all the right ways. Um, so the, the pork pies didn't weren't a contributing factor to the, your. Um, the six foot six and I I ate well. My 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 mother was six foot or is six foot. And my father was six foot three. So um, I suppose I've got every chance of coming out um, tall and yeah. relatively athletic. Some of my colleagues will laugh at that statement, but yeah. uh, played a professional career as a sportsman. And that was you know my dad was passionate sports sportsman. He played a lot of club cricket. Mm. And was a great sort of um, influence in my early days. Obviously, like like all of us, that's usually so. Right to your things. to your success at Warwickshire, you know, everyone everyone knows who you are. Um, if they follow cricket, they know who you are. Uh, enjoyed a lot of success with the county. Um, I think many people that support Warwickshire or know much about cricket will will always think of Tim Munton charging down from, uh, you know, from his long run up. Well, it wasn't that long, was it really? But anyway, a, a long run up. Long enough. Long I had to, enough. I had to get long going. Enough. Yeah. Didn't stop you weren't exhausted quickly. by the time you got to the to the wicket. Um, you know, and you achieved a lot of, of great success. Uh, named in the top five wisdom cricketers of the year. Uh, three caps for England. Tell us a little bit about 
reaching the top of your sport because that really is the pinnacle, isn't it? I guess in a cricketer's life, playing for their country. Yeah, I mean, it's. It, I look back on it now. Like I say, I've, I finished what seventeen years ago in terms of uh, time after cricket, but you know, those days re- remain sort of very fresh in your mind and very lucky um, to have had that opportunity. Um, success at Warwickshire didn't come didn't come easy for on a personal level or as a collective to be fair in my, my early years sort of 86 87 88 were, were pretty average sort of years for for a group of players that were Warwickshire had some pretty poor some lean times and they'd obviously take, had a philosophy to sort of pull together half a dozen of us and give us a long run and help us evolve into into what they hoped would be successful careers and when I look back on it that sort of those formative years very lucky to work with um, you know, some great sort of coaches and and um, cricket cricket stars, if you like. So in the dressing room was Dennis Amis and Alvin Kalicharan. Not bad. And that which was you know as a as a nineteen twenty year old to be changing with them and, and learning. Norman Gifford was our captain. David Brown was was the cricket manager at the time. Um, Alan Oatman, God bless him, was one of the cricket coaches. Neil Abberley, likewise, no longer with us. They were they were real inspirational sort of types. And then as the as the as my career went on, other other people came into my my life, if you like, as cricket coaches and influences. Again, in my chosen sort of route uh, as a scene bowler, um, you know, great Bob Cotton was probably uh, mm. as a as a cricket coach was probably the biggest individual influence on me as a as a bowler, um, and sort of really sort of helped me understand how to be successful and become that England cricketer that I that I was lucky enough to do. Um, Jeff Arnold, Tom Cartwright, these are all names that sort of previous generation to mine will all remember, but I was lucky enough to, in different guises, have time with them. You know, I was a bit of a sponge. I like to talk to these guys and understand it. So I was a I was a, a, a willing student, if you like, and, and was lucky enough to have some great people around me. And then the, the era that um, we're most remembered for, um, sort of 93, 94, 95, which was primarily sort of um, the build-up, if you like, from Bob Cotton. Andy Lloyd was a, was a, was my mm-hmm. captain when I was capped. Lloyd was a great tactician and a, and a great uh, bit of a gambler in life. But he, he sort of taught us how to sort of what you have to do to if you want to win a game, you've got to risk losing it. Those sort yeah. of those sort of traits that came through with Lloydy. But all that set us up when when Bob Woolmer came as as our coach. Well, he came in. I think it was ninety three, ninety two. Was was Woolley's ninety two? I think was Woolley's first year. He almost supplied that finishing school. You know, it's a tragedy that that that, that Woolley sort of left us so young, and and having sort of been that real, um, he was he was way ahead of his time in terms of his his coaching philosophies and techniques, and so that journey, if you like, I, I reflect on it. You know, it, none of it happened very quickly. I wouldn't say anything was was planned per se because it was different chunks of people. But if you look back on it, and there's probably seven or eight of us that Andy Moles, Dominic Osler, Paul Smith, um, Neil Smith, you know, that that Keith Piper, Roger Twos, we all played together through that sort of those early years, and then we were all together as a unit, if you like, that that, mm. that had the success in '93, '4, and '5. You talk about average years to to coin your the little phrase you used. How how does one transition from you know, a fairly lean period in sport. You probably have a, a, an inkling that you're going places because you started to gather together a very talented group of people with some great coaches. But what is it that gets you from, you know, the, the, the tougher times over the line? Because a lot of people, a lot of sports people have experienced exactly the same thing, but there's something about them that helps them to keep going. 
And, and I think people find it more difficult these days than perhaps ever before yeah. to keep going when they really are up against it a little bit. I, I, I guess answering the last part of your question, Phil, I, I guess there's more of a microscope. There's more there's more visibility of you of, of those tough times and when you're vulnerable and there's more people can comment. The whole world of social media probably has changed it. So it's hard to comment on why, why that might, what it would be like mm-hmm. to be in that bubble now. But when I played, it was, it was you know, a, a, you've got to be talented, don't get me wrong. You've got to work hard to get there. But there is a large amount of luck in being successful, particularly in sport. You've got to avoid injury. You've got to have form at the right time. You've got to perform on the day when people are watching when it matters. Because all those things, when you look back on it and you've had a career, you actually know, in the nice way, you don't know when you're going to have a great day. And, and what you do is you get longer into your career, and it certainly helped me. Once I got into sort of years six, seven, eight, nine of my career, you can look back on sort of phases. So it's almost, there's, I heard somebody reference it on the radio recently on the part of the Caribbean tour, that that's sort of a purple patch. And I think, I think what you get as a as, as you go through your career, the very great players have very small or shorter lean periods. But you all go through times where it's all just happening. And you can't necessarily see why it is. But as you get older, you, you you learn not to panic so much when it's not going right. And you sort of just go with it. You keep working hard, you keep going the nets, you keep doing your stuff. But I think a lot of I, I look at back at, at players who are on the staff when I was there who were more naturally talented than I, and I and, and I say that in a in a sort of a balanced way. I'm not I'm not sort of belittling my own talent, but I wasn't the most gifted, but I had enough talent and I worked hard and fortune went my way. And you look at some guys who were you know more talented, or equally worked really hard, but had a broken bone at the wrong time, or mm. they just went through that lean period when somebody else was coming through and didn't let them back in the side. So it's all. There's a whole mix, if you like, of of what it is that I'm trying to remember your original question as we're waffling on now. But but in terms of that sort of that mix of what is it like to have a career, I think was where you were coming from. Mm. What's it? How do you get through the lean yeah, times? Yeah. I think a lot of it is the people around you. Um, you know, again, I referenced earlier. I was lucky. I had I had really good coaches and captains and people with great experience and passion that I was lucky enough to sort of draw off. And you know. In the in the sort of the the middle and most successful time of my career, we because you've got success and there's another this is another sort of thing I, I I look back on. People talk about team spirit and having a great bunch of people around you, and the, the balancing act there is that the team spirit I reckon comes from teams who are successful. So people look at a team that's successful and say they're successful because of their team spirit. Not true. You you get successful because you work hard, you have a shared goal, you work hard, things go your way, and then you keep on that role. I mean, look at Manchester United this 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 football season, the change in somebody who's brought in sort of a bit of success, a bit of momentum, and then you have some fun, and your team spirit evolves, and you look out for each other, and all those sort of things kick in. But if you're not successful, battles and challenges you know sort of appear mm-hmm. and then sort of um it doesn't it doesn't it doesn't follow through that way so it's very much the success that drives that team spirit and again you look out for each other then and sort of that that joint joint success and collective resolve is is all part of and it. you've mentioned a number of people bob warmer in particular um bob cotton what philosophies did they teach you and your and your very colleagues? different at different times so so um if I go back to the very start, 85, 86, 87 was very much a bunch of young cricketers, little expectation. The club had had a lean uh, spell anyway. So the likes of Norman Gifford and David Brown, Alan Oakman, Neil Abbey, it was all about sort of getting you into the game and giving you a chance. Bob Cotton came. Bob was a 
tough taskmaster. You know, he was about making, if you want to have a career here, you've got to score hundreds. You've got to take five fish. You've got to put it in. You know, he used to, he used to have a real challenge if um, guys on the cusp, and we were all around that time, I'd had a few periods in and out the side, go and play in the Birmingham League on a Saturday. Having played some first-class cricket, if you came back as a bowler and hadn't got five for, you could have got four for 15, but if you haven't got five for, he wasn't happy. If you're a batsman, if you got 75, he wanted to turn away and got 100. It's hundreds and fifers. So he was, he was a, uh, a welcome, tough taskmaster. When I look back on it, he he helped me and maybe four or five other people who had long careers thereafter to sort of understand what it what was it what it was about to have a long career in cricket as an individual. Um, and if you like, it was where the the making of that team, if you like, started to come. But it was about the individuals learning how to perform. Bob Warmer, then when Bob joined, and we'd had that sort of balance, if you like, with Lloydie being the sort of the the risk taker and. If you, if you want to win, you've got to prepare to lose, that sort of approach. We all started to learn that. Then Woolley came with these sort of very challenging, modern, head of himself sort of coaching techniques. And alongside Dermot Reeve, Dermot was a, a real sort of um, um, effervescent and sort of wanted everybody to feel loved and don't fit no fear of failure and all those sort of phrases sort of came out during that time. So we then started to learn how, what it was like to be a team. And then because we knew what it was like to score runs and take wickets and take catches, what do we need to do then as a collective to help win games of cricket? The next step of that was you win games of cricket, you win trophies and you win, you win sort of um, a number of trophies. Mm. And so the journey continued, Mm -hmm. performed, uh, you know, at the top of your abilities, played for England. Any funny stories that you can share <laughs> that are clean enough, perhaps, or practical jokes? Because I'm look in a, in any professional sports dressing room, things happen, as we know. Yeah. Any any amusing stories along the way? I'm not the best storyteller, but I some of the I mean, I, there's so many. I mean, it was it. it you are, like I say, you, you're privileged. You, you you are living your dream, sort of, as a as a professional sportsman and. You know, that's possibly why your family of, of, of colleagues, you see more of them than you do of your, of your actual family during yeah. the course of, of your cricketing times. So lots of fun. Lots of fun on the field is around sort of the banter and the and the sort of um, bit of uh, the bit of sledging that goes on and, and things like that. Yeah, it's um, almost unique, isn't it, to cricket? I think I think it is. I mean, it's it's sort of it's a shame if it goes over the line because actually, I, I didn't get drawn into much of it myself. I, I remember watching it I, and, and banter from the umpires to the players. One of my funniest ones that isn't that funny, but it's a as a as I look back in the heat of the moment. I used to when one of my big traits was, and I never quite knew how I did it, but if I got in a good rhythm, I'd nip the ball back quite a lot um, into into batsmen's pads. So I'd often have half appeals and full appeals. And, and there was one game where where um, again, God bless him, where Jack Hampshire was was umpire, and um, I had one of those days. And there was one particular decision I can't remember who it was against who, who the batsman was, but I was absolutely adamant this one was out, and I was sort of really showing him my tonsils and giving it. Come on, Jack, you've <laughs> got to give this one out. And he sort of let me go all the way through, and then pause as I was walking as I stopped he looked at me and he said are you asking or demanding <laughs> <laughs> and I said Jack it was just just an ask well he said asking he said it's still not out <laughs> and you so those bits of I mean that's that's a it's not a particularly funny story but it's personal to me and it helps me it's something that makes you realize the human side yeah. of the game and yeah. and that was you know that was a big part of the pleasure of playing cricket so then unfortunately you get to the what your last season um, your your season was cut short, wasn't it, by injury? But you kind of left the game on your terms, which is quite almost unique these yeah. days for a sportsman. I think the the question here then is, you know, how do you transition? What's I mean, you get to the end of uh, you, you mentioned the word bubble, so you've been in this bubble for all this time, um, achieved a very high level in the game, 
reach the pinnacle of success, playing for your country, and then all of a sudden it ends. Yeah. How, how do you deal with that? I, I guess again, I'll use that word lucky again, but I, I put myself out to do this. So if I take, if I go back a few, a few steps, I in the early part of my career, I went overseas. I went to Wellington for that first summer, and then the following year, I won a scholarship to um, South Africa, which Warwick had an exchange with the then Transvaal cricket team. And I, so I had two consecutive winters overseas where I went and I learned and I, and I played. But I came back after, so the end of the, 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 the summer after I'd been to South Africa, I'd in effect played five consecutive cricket seasons. And my body was feeling tired. And so through a conversation with a couple of people, I, I took the view that I was going to stay at home that, that following winter because there's only so many overs in your body. And I'd rather pay, play them for Warwickshire when I'm being paid for it than having mm. a glorified holiday in South Africa, New Zealand, wherever I might have been. So that little that phase of my life, um, that one winter where I worked for some 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 friends, it, and I came back and had a good season. It, it proved that I didn't need to go overseas. So I then had 10 winters. So I went to the club and I said, look, this this career isn't forever. And at the time, cricket, you, you, you played for six months. So April to October, well, April then to September was your cricket contract. October to the end of March, off you go do something different. The club were good enough to sort of make some calls for me. I ended up working for 10 consecutive winters for Bass Brewers at the time. So, you know, not that some of the sales, if anybody who worked with me at the time was listening to this, they'll, they'll, they'll think I had a holiday really. But, but at least I had some, some proper, proper job, if you like. And for six months, I did sales and marketing, sales and marketing jobs. So for me, and I'd, I'd encourage this of anybody in the game, not, not so easy now because the guys are on 12-month contracts and they get bits of time off through the winter. But it's, it's very important while you're in that sort of lovely position of the bubble of professional sport, you do recognise that it ain't here for long. And, you know, I was I was lucky. I mean, I, I sort of, I was I finished the year, I was 37. So, you know, I'd had sort of 18 seasons. And yes, it was cut short halfway through the season, but that was always going to be my last year. So I was, I was, I was gone through the journey. So part of how do you transition is, and if I give people any advice, is get lots of experience while you're still doing it. Don't believe it's forever. Don't don't sacrifice your time on the field, of course, and your training. You've got to put that in. Mm. You know, I used to get up at 5.30, 6 o'clock. I'd do two hours in the gym before I go to the office in the winter with net in the evenings or whatever it was. So it's not impossible to do it, but you just have to be disciplined and recognise that. And you have to be fortunate, but there's, there's plenty of people out there. The other thing to remember when you're a professional sports person, most people want to talk to you. So it's not hard to go and find somebody. And if you talk to enough people, somebody will give you some some experience. It doesn't have to be paid. It could, it's just experience. So go and experience that proper, the real world, if you like, or what yeah. everybody else has to go through rather than... The, the sporting world you're looking and, to be and the, it won't last forever that's true of the corporate world isn't it so yeah, absolutely you then transition to the corporate world you've achieved a lot of success there tell us about what you're doing now and and what philosophies to use that word again have you carried over from your life in professional sport to to the corporate world a lot's incredibly incredibly similar. Uh, you know, I referenced uh, Jeremy Snape, and Snape is, Snape has got this world where it's sport and business, and he uses analogies all the time in his in his in his training and coaching with sports teams and business teams. And and again, I was lucky because I experienced both. So now I'm you know, 17 years into life after cricket. I had various roles. I you know I had a three three and a half years as a director of the Professional Cricketers Association. So I took my sort of sales and marketing, business development sort of um, into the sport um, um, with the PCA, which was great fun. Um, I then had a couple of years working in in e-commerce and online retail, which was quite early at that time in sort of uh, 2004 five that sort of period. And, and then I took the, the jump and I sort of, dis, I, I didn't decide to, I ended up, I was trying to transition back into cricket and um, wasn't successful in, in the roles I was applying for. 
and ended up sort of doing consultancy work for people because they knew I'd got time on my hands. And before I knew where I was, I'd got a consultancy business. And uh, the ups and downs of that are, are amazing. So some very high points and some very low ones, to be mm-hmm. blunt. Um, so again, cricket and the sporting experience, that sort of roller coaster, a bit, if you like. And it's all the same. It's all about, you know, the same things you have to sort of look at as a sportsman, the preparation, the planning, the determination, the hard work, making the right choices, not getting too too sort of um, down if the choices you choose are the wrong ones. You've got to pick yourself up and go again. So I think um, I think my sort of my cricketing journey or my sporting journey has helped me um, transition through that, that space. And here I am now. I've joined a, 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 a nice size agency um, with 100 people around to support me where I'd spent 11 years trying to do it myself with two or three people. And I found myself sort of in a very comfy place. Uh, comfy is not exactly the right word. I found myself in an exciting place, a better way to put it, with lots of opportunity still with sport, but a, a broad base of sport. So cricket's still part of my life at the minute. We have relationships with Warwickshire County Cricket Club and Edgbaston Stadium through through the, my work at Champions. Um, I've just been involved in the the rollout of Patanair, who've just done the, this this winter, become the naming rights sponsor at Derbyshire County Cricket Club. So it's helping me in my cricketing world. But then a new sport for me. I, I was and those who've seen me play. I'm a very average golfer, but I've ended up in in my working world now, sort of involved in. Um, in the Stayshore, Stayshore European Senior Tour golf golfing events, where we've got two or three events in the in the diary from a, a par three British par three competition, and a senior, European Senior Masters at the Forest of Arden, and then down in Cornwall we've, we've got a new tournament this coming summer um, at Travose, um, the Farm Foods Le- European Legends Links. A mouthful for me to remember sometimes, but. Try saying that after a couple of beers. <laughs> a few pints aside, it'll be interesting. <laughs> but yeah, no, so I, so in terms of, of sort of um, where I am now and the, the sort of roller coaster, I'm in a you know I'm in a good place now. I've you know a bit like cricket career. You know I've had had my moments in the in the middle part of life after cricket, mm-hmm. but now sort of really enjoying that sort of overlap still with sport and business, and um, enjoying being part of it. Yeah, because I mean we've known each other a long time now, haven't we? And yeah. I've seen that I've seen the highs and the lows. Yeah, you have indeed. And uh, one thing that I really admire about you, Tim, is your, your stickability. You just just get up and keep going. Yeah, um, yeah. And I think a lot of people have this 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 misconception that a lot of people who've been successful on the TV, you know, you're high profile at the time, just it's always come easy. It's always been good. You've always performed at a, an elite level, but it, but it isn't like that in reality, is it? No, it, it isn't. And, you know, and I, and I think in all walks of life, you know, again, I've been lucky. You, you come across senior people and successful people in other sports, but, you know, when you get to know them, you know they've had their tough times and in, and in business the same, you know, plenty of people who've been amazingly successful They've had to suffer tough times, disappointing times on that journey to get there. And I think I think the most important thing, and again, words and phrases that come out more and more now, but sort of being resilient, having the determination to go on. Um, they're easy words, but, you know, it's important that you've, and I, I quite enjoy sharing a lot of my stories with people and sort of, you know, the real lows as well as the real highs, mm-hmm. because... You know, it's, it is important that people understand it's all right to fail. You know, nobody does it deliberately. Nobody goes out to get things wrong. But if you do, it's important, recognise it, learn from it, pick yourself up and go on because 99% of people out there are, are, are wanting you to succeed anyway. So mm. so I've a real sort of strong overlap between... And do you think, Tim, that over the years, go back, can't quite believe you've been out of the game 17 years... Um, it's, 20, since, it's 25 years this year. Well, since I remember watching you on TV yeah. and we're a similar age, then it must be 17 years. But yeah. um, do you think that the, the traits, the inherent values that you talk about, are they different today 
putting aside social media and all those pressures you mentioned earlier, are they different today than they were yesteryear or do, do the same things ring true? The same philosophies, the same yeah. principles, are they still there today? I, I think they are. I think uh, the world's a different place in all walks of life, but I think the core of it is is still very much the same. I'm, I'm still very close to Ashley Giles now. Ashley's just taken on the biggest job in cricket. And um, I was talking to Ashley over sort of through December when he was sort of in discussions about taking on the job and leaving Warwickshire behind and going back to the international stage. And, and Ash has Ash learnt a lot of what are his core values and his core strengths and, and and leadership skills through that same era in the 1990s playing cricket the same team I did, and I know his values are very similar. You know everything develops, and you know we all have to in all walks of life you go along and you take technology and science and all the rest of it, but the core of it all is about sort of you know you've got to, you've got to be disciplined, you've got to be. You've got to be um, driven. You've got to be prepared to take the, the t- tough knocks and come back for them. All those sort of things, and you know, if you if you wrap all that into one, and you've got some talent, and you work hard, and you have that bit of luck, then um, then you can be successful in in all walks of life. Mm. And what's next? What what's uh, what's Tim Munson's view of the world? What's next on the horizon? Goals, aspirations, anything like that? Well, well for me, I say I'm in, I'm I'm five months into a, into a new into a new role in a role that's sort of. Um, found me a little bit really and um and I'm seeing myself back in the world of sport um involved in sort of sponsorship and hospitality and all the things that I've I've enjoyed and been around for for many years um enjoying being back involved in cricket um on the one side of it so the stuff we're doing at Edgbiston with Warwickshire and the stuff we're doing at Derbyshire is has got me ironically with the two clubs I played my cricket with um but the golfing side is really exciting and getting involved in new sports so understanding the challenges of golf and sort of they've got the same challenges all, all sports have got in terms of next generation challenges of time so again you know, one of my projects that I'm involved with is is the par 3 par three, British par 3 and looking how that part of the game might become the, the 2020 of golf if you like and, and sort of things there so I'm I'm early into a, a new venture and one that I'm really enjoying um, and be you know delighted that it's, it's something that sort of combines my passions and what I think are probably my skills as well. Well, good luck to you, because I hope this doesn't embarrass you, Tim. You are one of life's real good guys, so um, good luck to you and all you Thank do you. in the future. Um, you may or may not be aware, Tim, but one of the questions, the question we ask all of our guests, without exception, so sorry you're not getting away with it, uh, I'd like you to imagine for a moment uh, a six-foot-six version of yourself, except he's 15. Let's not make him six-foot-six. I'm not sure he's, I'm not sure he'd fit on your knee, but you're having a conversation with... You're kind of your alter ego, your son, let's imagine. And he's asking dad for some words of wisdom. You know, he's looking to go out into the big wide world, whether it's sport or business. What words of wisdom would Tim Munton Sr., knowing all that he knows now, give give that young man? I think I think the overriding one, and, and, and I always find it very sad if you see young sporting talent who put so much pressure either on themselves or from parents or, or, or people around them, uh, is enjoy it. You've, you've got it. If you, if particularly sport-wise, if you, if you're not waking up and enjoying it, then you really probably aren't in the right. You're probably not taking your career in the right direction. You then, you then do have to. I mean, it's they're all cliches, but you you need to be determined. You need to work hard. You need to you need to sort of be be prepared for knocks. You know, nothing's going to be easy. Um, but if you're enjoying it, it's what you really want to do. Surround yourself with good people. A great piece of advice I got was um, was you know. Remember, remember to listen to everybody. You don't have to take it in, but listen because, you know, the the the, the sort of the, the the two ears, two ears, one mouth um, analogy is absolutely so strong in sport, particularly. 
And, you know, you don't have to be rude to sort of cut people off, just take it in and say thank you very much and go away. But then do think about it yourself. I think one of the challenges in sport now, actually, there's so much technology and science. I do wonder how how much um, young young sort of professional sports sportsmen and women in whatever sport they're in, they get so much... Upon a plate's the wrong way. That's 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 that sounds disparaging. I don't mean it that way. But they get they get spoon fed so much information from their coaches and the technical support teams. I just wonder how much they actually think about the game themselves. So I'd always I'd challenge any any youngster take all that stuff. Of course, we all love it. You know, I I was my generation. You had the odd VHS video sort of done by the coach, and you, you had to remind yourself how good you were one day. Well, now they get literally minutes after the end of play, they've got every single piece of activity they've done right in front of them, a, a whole pile of data and information for the next day for what you need to do. All that's great, but I just I just challenge them to put that to one side and then just look at what, what do I do, how do I do it, and am I playing against the next day, mm. which is what we had to do. The generation before me even more so had to do it and talk talk to, you, talk to your colleagues, talk to your sort of the opposition and, mm. and, enjoy, and enjoy that part of it. But overriding, make sure you're enjoying what you're doing. Brilliant. Um, so final thing, because we've run out of time, unfortunately, <laughs> There'll be people listening, going, "Oh my gosh, it's Tim Mutton. How do we how do we find out about you? You know, obviously you've got your new career, so tell us very quickly about how we how we find out about that. But also, have you got any social media presence that where people can connect with you? Maybe yeah, or just I'm, follow I'm, your success. Yeah, so I'm 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 a I'm a sort of uh, I'm getting better at it. I've been having a play with social media for about ten years, I suppose. Sort of, but um, so you'll find me on LinkedIn. You'll find me on on Twitter. You'll find me um, on Facebook. Um, Workwise Champions UK PLC is who we are, and uh, anything to do with sport and and the sporting brands around that business will will see me around it. So um, love to hear from anybody who's got any sort of uh, um, ideas about uh, golf, particularly. So golf's my big push at the moment. Um, cricket's a natural place for me to be involved, and we're doing a little bit in rugby as well. So you know, all of my passions and loves at the minute are in my job at the moment. Fabulous. Well, we shall have a conversation offline about golf, um, since that's my my sport, yep. <laughs> uh, or was I have to say, seventeen years ago. Um, but uh, it's been fabulous having you with us, and and great catching up with you. We don't see nearly enough of each other, but uh, we'll have a we'll take the time to have a beer soon. But Tim Munton, you've been a fabulous guest. Thanks so much for joining us. Real pleasure. Enjoyed it. Thanks, Andrew. That was the Sandro Forte podcast and what a fabulous guest Tim Munton was. There are many more fantastic guests joining me over the coming weeks, so please make sure you subscribe if you want to pick up some great tips on success. Remember, you can follow us on social media at Sandro's Podcast. That's Sandro's with an S, of course. Same on all channels. And we'd love to hear your stories, ideas, anecdotes, challenges, or just whatever motivates you. So please email me, hello at sandrospodcast.com. And if you can, please leave a review on iTunes so we know what you'd like more of in the future. (laughs) 